0: Hi, everyone, and welcome. Um, My name is Michael, I'm the minister here, and we've come to the end of our Ten Commandments series. But before we dive into the final commandment, I just want to give a quick ministry update on where the elders see where our church is going as we sought God's leading. And so, our vision as a church is to help people to find the fullness of life in Jesus by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living for Jesus. And God has led us to focus on three things to fulfil our vision for the rest of this year. The first is to continue to outreach to our local community through the community breakfast that we had this morning, as well as our community carols at the end of this year. Some exciting development is I've reached out to the Roselle Neighbourhood Centre and they're really excited to meet with me. Uh, In their words, they're really keen to collaborate with us on how we can serve our local area. Uh, So please be praying for that on how we can uh, run events, service their needs. Uh, And we've had some people actually turn up to our community breakfast from uh, Connections through the Roselle Neighbourhood Centre. The second is to strengthen and consolidate our community groups so that our groups are consistent and uh, experiencing deeper fellowship and discipleship. And the third is to gather together for church-wide prayer to pray for our church family and to pray for our city and we're going to be doing this together at our praise and prayer night on the 26th of September we'd we'll love for you to have dinner with your community group beforehand and come to church to kick things off at 7:30. I know it can be a little bit tricky with children if you can organise a babysitter I think would be really worthwhile. Uh, It's so important and I think it would be so rewarding for us to come together as a church family, uh, to grow in our prayerful dependence on God and for God to change our hearts through prayer and to have our hearts filled with praises to God. Uh, As to where God is leading us for next year and beyond, the elders have decided to do something different with a big day out together this year instead of our weekend away. I know some of you... Uh, very in grief that we're not having a weekend away well we haven't cancelled it we're just going to reschedule it to early next year uh, maybe perhaps sometime before Easter uh, so that's something that we can still look forward to but on Sunday 29th of September please mark this in your calendars don't rock up to church because the doors won't be opened uh, we're all going to be gathering at Christ College in Burwood to pray and envisage together God's leading for our church in 2020 and onwards I believe that through God's word, worship, prayer, reflection and discussion together, we're going to together begin to envisage what our church could become from 2020 onwards. And so I think it's going to be a special day for our hearts to be stirred as we listen to God's call for us as a church. I think our faith will be stretched as we boldly trust and dream big that God can do immeasurably more than what we could ever ask and imagine And for Jesus to be ultimately exalted as our mighty Lord, who's been so faithful to us over the years and is so powerful to continue to build our church. There will be a kids program for the little ones and we're going to enjoy lunch together and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, fun times throughout the day. So further details on the program will be available very soon, but for now, take out your phones, mark this special Sunday in your calendars. Two final things. Uh, one is for those who are going to man camp this Saturday, our camp leader, Jared, wants to gather the men uh, to work out some of the details and give us uh, some instructions as our uh, faithful camp leader. So at Morning Tea, go find Jared. We're going to huddle together, uh, work out uh, yeah, what steaks to bring, basically. Um, and one final thing, if you don't have any plans for lunch... Uh, Amy and I would love to open our homes. Uh, We've got some pumpkin soup, but uh, I know that the Gozleme ladies are out firing up their barbecue. So if you love Gozleme, you're welcome to bring um, some takeaway back home. So if you don't have any lunch plans, you're welcome to come to my place uh, and enjoy a meal together. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your vision be our vision. And we pray that your voice will be the voice of, like a shepherd that will call us, as we will listen and obey you, to follow you through dark times and through good times, and as we heard from the ladies, to continue to persevere in our faith so that together we may run the race and receive the crown of glory. May we listen to your voice clearly today. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. Are you someone that when you're going out to a restaurant with friends and family, you're that someone that forever is studying the menu. Like you're studying for, I don't know, your law license. And you examine and examine it, and then you finally order your food, but when it arrives on the table straight away, you immediately look across at another table, at another person's plate, and you're like, I want theirs. Is that you? That is me and Amy absolutely hates it. I suffer from massive food envy. I just want a bit of everything on the menu. Uh, I think every restaurant ought to be like dim sim or yum cha. I just want everything on the menu. And I think what is true for food is true across all of life too. We are too easily think that we're missing out as we look across the shoulder and look at another person's life. We think that someone else has got things better than us. The grass seems to be always greener. We all easily find someone and whose life and lot, and we instinctively say, I want theirs. And so we are now at the end of our series on the 10 commandments, which are rules for freedom. And we now come to the final 10th commandment and it's deeply internal. The Ten Commandments says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the first thing that you notice about this commandment, it's deeply internal. Covering moves beyond external actions of what we've looked at in the other commandments, external actions of idol worship, Misusing God's name, avoiding theft, not giving false testimony, and so on. But this one speaks very clearly and explicitly to our inner motivations. And the second thing you notice is just how comprehensive it is. It paints this picture that you're looking over the fence of your neighbours and you're seeing his house. Then within the house, you're, the most obvious thing you see is his wife, followed by his servants. Then it moves to his prized possessions, his best animals, and it finishes with anything that belongs to your neighbor. It includes all that is his. That's the second thing. The third thing you notice is the repetition of the ownership of things. It's your neighbor's house. It's your neighbor's wife. It's his servants or anything that is your neighbor's. He covers everything that is his, because it is his and not yours. And so coveting is a desire for ownership, for something that belongs to someone else. Now it's important here to clarify that coveting is not the same as desires. Coveting is not the same as having every kind of longing or want or thought of have something nicer or better. The Bible doesn't prohibit having desires. And this is where Christianity is very different to Buddhism. Buddha's message was to relinquish all desires as the solution to deal with suffering. That's the logic of Buddhism. If we desire wealth, then poverty will hurt us. If we desire health, then sickness will trouble us. If we desire honour, and so failure injures us if we desire intimacy then the ups and downs of our relationship will pain us and so to be released from pain the answer is to extinguish all desires now i actually find buddhism very logical and rational i think it makes sense if you want to alleviate suffering then don't allow yourself the opportunity to desire anything that could risk pain and suffering But I also find it really hard to follow and actually quite unlivable, even though I find it so rational and logical, because the thing is, we know that we are feeling creatures. And so to deny all desires is not only difficult and unrealistic, it's also to not acknowledge a huge part of our humanity. That's why I find Buddhism just not that compelling and why I find Christianity way more compelling. Because the the Bible says our problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire wrong things or desire good things in a wrong way. So the Bible says our problem is not that we desire things, but we desire wrong things or desire good things in a wrong way. The Bible often commends desires in its proper place. We read in the Old Testament from Sarah to Hannah, the desire for children is a good desire. In the Song of Solomon, we see the desire for sexual intimacy is a good desire. The book of Proverbs encourages us to plan and to work hard so that we might improve our lot in life. That is a good desire. So desiring some kind of financial advancement is not automatically wrong. And likewise, it's certainly not wrong to long more of God or desire an outpouring of his spirit more and more. We see this in the Psalms. And similarly, covening is not the same as desires and longings expressed in lamenting. In the book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs argues that contentment is not opposed to, one, a due sense of affliction, two, making in an orderly manner our moan, and complain to God and to our friends. And three, all lawful seeking for help in different or difficult circumstances, nor to endeavouring simply to be delivered out of our present afflictions by the use of lawful means. Even the heart-searching Puritans didn't forbid weary Christians for offering a heavenward lament of saying, God, God, I wish there was some other way. And so coveting is not the same as desires in its good place, nor is it lament. And so coveting is not critiquing desire and passion per se. Coveting, again, is desiring for ourselves what belongs to someone else. It's a simple definition, but there are three deeper dimensions to coveting. There is a relational, spiritual, and internal dimension. Firstly, relational. Coveting is not wrong in desiring things of itself. Coveting is desire in relation to another. It is an attitude to other people. It is seeing people as competition to beat rather than people I am glad for. Coveting implies a resentment at the flourishing of others instead of celebrating the flourishing of others. And we can start to understand that coveting can be a destroyer of relationships. And that's why James said that coveting leads to quarrels and fights among us. He says, what causes fight and quarrels among us? Though they come from your desires, that battle within you, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And if we reflect on quarrels and fights that we've come across, we may find someone wanting something but being frustrated isn't it? With coveting there's also a spiritual dimension. The level of our coveting will be inversely proportional to our satisfaction and fulfillment in God. In other words the more I covet the more I lose my satisfaction in God. The more I covet the less I will trust in his mercy the less I will rely on his guidance, the less I am fulfilled in the riches of his grace, the less I am satisfied in my salvation in Christ, the less I will set my heart and affection on God and his everyday graces and mercy on our lives. This obviously leads to an internal dimension of coveting. When we start to lose our satisfaction on God, we misdirect and misplace our desires and passions to things of this world in place of God. And this is where desires for good things, and we do it in the wrong way. If a good desire becomes something that replaces God, something that we can't live with, then we turn a good desire into a functional God. Your desire for a person, place, or possession has become inordinate. In other words, disproportionate to your desire and love for God. How can we diagnose such an internal battle of turning a good thing into a God thing? One way is to fill in the blank. If I only had blank, I would be finally happy. And so the question is what is that blank for you? A successful career? spotless health, a great marriage, our blanks can often be our functional gods. That's the person, place or thing that we think that we can't live without. And Kevin DeYoung, in his book Ten Commandments suggests very th- penetratingly three signs of what an outward manifestation of living for the blank in your life could look like. Number one, you might be coveting if you hurt others in order to get more for yourself. Do you have a do-whatever-it-takes-to-get-ahead mentality, even at the detriment of others? Or it could be shown by neglect. Could you be so driven by covetedness that your loved ones are getting nothing but leftovers of your attention, time, and affection? Number two, you might be coveting if you're preoccupied with making more and accumulating more. Are you like the one that is planted in the thorny soil that starts to bear fruit only to have that seed choked out by the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of life? And those who fall on the thorny soil didn't all of a sudden wake up and made their decision to turn away from God out of the blue. It happens more gradually when they get too busy. Get too distracted, too concerned about lesser matters. Number three, you might be coveting if you're frequently grumbling about your life. Oh, it's so easy to grumble and complain, isn't it? We get so worked up by life's inconveniences, can't we? And the dangerous thing about grumbling complainly, which we don't realise, is that complainly complaining easily builds community. I mentioned previously that complaining is the universal currency in our world. Almost without fail, complaining gives a point of connection for people. You see it. Sports fans unite over the mistake of referees. Mothers bond together over the anger towards those people who keep buying up the milk formula on that Inner West Mums Facebook group. Employees rally together on how terrible the IT system is. But could you imagine, let's together imagine this, could you imagine your typical day without complaining? Imagine what that would be like. You're thinking, I think it's going to be a really quiet day. You'll be thinking, what on earth are we going to talk about? If you take out complaining, you'll find yourself yourself having a lot of conversational airtime, isn't it? But imagine this. Imagine the opportunities we could have if our conversations in that big airtime during the everyday were filled with talking about deeper, more lasting spiritual realities of our life in Christ rather than having those conversations being taken up by the miniature realities of life's inconveniences. Imagine what that day would be like. Brothers and sisters, let's stop complaining so that we can build a community around Christ with our conversations, not a community around complaints by our whinges. Now, if you've just reviewed your past week with these signs in mind, has that been evident in your life? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll probably covet more than we realize, don't we? We all covet. And we all need to realize what we're actually doing. We're resenting at others flourishing. We're losing our satisfaction in God. And we're fostering inordinate desires in our hearts. We need to be more content with our lives to counter our coveting hearts. But this is, there's a common strategy I found when it comes to growing in contentment. And a common strategy is this, to compare ourselves with those who are worse off than us. So we think to ourselves, we tell ourselves, if we look up at those who have more than us, then we're going to be tempted to be coveting, aren't we? So what's the strategy? We'll, we'll look down at those who have less than us, then we'll feel a bit more content. And here's the thing, Christians do this. We say things like, well, how fortunate it is for us to live in Sydney compared to the other people in the slums in India? Or we say, how fortunate it is to live in such long lives in our great health system compared to our American brothers, whose health system is terrible? And I call this the I-could-be-worse-off mentality to contentment. And like I said, you probably notice Christians do this all the time, perhaps. But if our joy and peace is only found on the I could be worse off mentality, then our contentment, as you can tell, is at best situational, isn't it? It's still comparing yourself to others. Because what happens if you hit rock bottom? Well, there's no one else to look down at, is there? Where can you find contentment when you reach that place in your life? And so true contentment doesn't come by comparing what we have to others, but comparing what our sin deserves. That means we find true contentment in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus tells us that we are spiritually wrecked, broken, rebellious before God who loves us and created us, and in our rejection of God, we are deserving of God's rejection. But in his boundless grace and mercy, God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ to free us from our destructive ways and to save us into a family and receive his eternal riches. We who deserve eternal punishment received an eternal inheritance. And so it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, this divine message that in Christ, we don't get what we deserve as sinners. And that spiritual truth will supernaturally strengthen us, empower us to be content in poverty and in wealth, to be content regardless of where we sit in comparison to others. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, says it like this, If we have not what we desire, we have more than we deserve. Such a great line. If we have not what we desire, we have more than what we deserve. And so if we want to live with true contentment, then we need to turn to Jesus to receive his grace and love, to receive more than what we deserve. His grace and love are the things that we can never lose. And I want to share you another, another beautiful verse. If today you're just finding your heart not being content, listen to these words in Hebrews Keep your eyes from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God had said, never I will leave you, never I forsake you. Isn't that interesting? He's calling for contentment, and the reason is because God had said to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hold these words. I'm going to hold these words this week. In Christ, in his love, in grace, we don't need more, more money. We can be content with what we have because God will never leave us. Our contentment is tied to our eternal relationship with God who will provide and care for us and who will never leave us and never forsake us. We can be content and satisfied in God with what he has given to us rather desire for what he hasn't because he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. If we live in that way, we are going to be a breath of fresh air in a world that is just constantly longing for more. Back in the 3rd century, a guy called Cyprian wrote to a friend called Donatus. So just imagine this is kind of A third century text message to his mate. Cyprian says this, his message is his mate, Donatus says, it's a bad world, Donatus, it's incredibly bad world. But in the midst of a bad world, I have found a quiet and good people who have learnt the great secret of life. They have found a joy and wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are disposed and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am one of them. This is the great mark of God's people, would you also desire to be one of them? To turn to Jesus, to find a joy and wisdom that is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life? Would that be a text message that you can send to a mate this week? Hey, Bob. Hey, Jack. I have found a people who are masters of their souls. They're Christians, and I am one of them. Let's pray. May we pray that we would be a people of great contentment and joy in God. Our Father in heaven, we confess our covetous hearts, our hearts that so easily look to others in envy rather than look up to you with awe and gratitude. Help us, Lord. Help us to turn to you and find satisfaction in our hearts with the knowledge that Christ's grace and forgiveness, we will have more than what our sin deserved. We ask that we would be a quiet and good people, a people who are the masters of our souls, who have found joy and wisdom a thousand times better than any pleasures of this sinful life so that we be using our conversations and life to build a community of Christ instead of a community of complaints. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.